When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code SPOTIFY to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code SPOTIFY at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code SPOTIFY. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs> Champions Classic game, um, which is not going to be on a neutral site uh, this year. Uh, well, Michigan State winds up kind of having to take one for the team there and travel to Duke. Um, but either way, they go into Durham. This will be Duke's second game. Uh, and so Duke is coming into this one 1-0, one and um, having beating uh, a sub-300 Ken Palm team in Copen State. Um by only 10 points in the opener to this one, Rod. Um, they're coming off a, a season in which they finished fifth in Ken Palm last year, 25-6 and six overall. Um, but they lose uh, quite a bit of pieces, get a new, a lot, kind of a reload year for Krzyzewski. Um What are you looking like uh, or feeling like with Duke coming uh, up here tomorrow night? Well, it's a yeah, it's a it's a different team, obviously, and this has been the pattern that's been established in, in recent years uh, at Duke. Really, ever since I guess I guess back in 2014, uh, K kind of went all in on the the one and done. And the the problem with it is once you go that route, you're kind of stuck with it mm-hmm. <laughs> because. You lose guys every year, and so they lost a bunch of guys, obviously, uh, from last year's team. Um, they do have four guys who were in the rotation who are back, so it's not as if they're totally devoid of experience. But um, at, at least on paper, this is a very good recruiting class, but it's not quite the level that we're used to seeing. You know, we're used to seeing Duke either number one or number two. I think this. I think they finished third. This year, which is not bad, but it wasn't really considered to be a, you know, a completely knockout kind of class overall in a general sense. And the highest ranked individual recruit, um, they landed was Jalen Johnson, who was number 13. So they didn't even get a guy inside the top 10. Now, a number 13 player nationally is still really, really good. Uh-huh. And Johnson's really good and they've got a lot of talent. I don't mean to suggest they don't, but it's there's a reason Duke is not getting the hype this season, at least in the preseason, that they have mo- in most years past, uh, and, and it's because of that. Because the the guys who are coming back are nice players, good players, but 
there's none of them that are headliner type guys or even certain NBA players, I don't think. Uh, and then their recruiting class is good, very good, but it's not that kind of, you know, there's not the, the Vernon Carey, Zion Williamson, RJ Barrett, you know, those kind of Jaleel Okafor, Tyus Jones. There's not guys at that level. And so I, th- I think that's why expectations are, by Duke standards, subdued. Now, we got to get back into reality for a second. They're still picked second in the preseason in the ACC behind Virginia. So let's let's get it straight. This is still a team with a lot of ability and a lot of potential and a lot of firepower. It's just by the standards we normally see. You know, there's no Marvin Bagley. There just there aren't guys that people expected to be overwhelming. Now that doesn't mean that somebody might not, you know, Johnson being the the top candidate might not actually become that kind of player this season. That could happen, but I think that's why. Uh, you you mentioned the the win over Coppin State, but it was it was not good. It was not a good game for Duke. Mm-hmm. Uh, turned it over twenty two times, and. While that could be an anomaly, I'm thinking it might not be because I, I've read some stuff. Duke assistant Chris Carowell was talking about that before the Coppin State game uh, as an issue, that he felt turnovers were something they were really going to have to um, uh, work to to limit uh, and that it could be an ongoing problem for this team. So while I'm not predicting they turn it over 22 times against MSU, I, I – I think it's probably fair to say, until they prove otherwise, this might be an issue with this particular Duke team in a general sense, in a way that it hasn't been very often. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's that's one thing to consider. They only shot 33% from three. Not horrendous, but not great. And, And they're an interesting team in that they got a lot of guys who I think are threats from deep, but they don't have, you know, we're used to seeing Duke with a knockdown shooter, right? At least one, maybe multiple guys who are 40% plus just kill you when they get an open look. That's the pattern we're used to seeing at Duke. I'm not sure they have that. Um, One of their freshmen, DJ Stewart, might be that kind of guy. He was four for nine for three in the opener. Um, you know, Matthew Hurt was a 39% guy last year. Maybe he takes it up a level, but I just, that's another area maybe worth watching a little bit. Um, you know, the other thing that's interesting, and we're, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about this is personnel. They have a lot of size, but they didn't play very much of it. And, Coppin State went with four guards, and I don't, I mean four guards, really <laughs> four guards. So I'm not sure whether that was a function of Duke matching up with Coppin State, or that's actually what Kay thinks of some of his younger big men at this stage, that they're not really ready for prime time. It, it's a little interesting in that you would normally expect Duke to just go kind of impose their will, right? Why would they be worried about matching up with a poor opponent? But it was so dramatic that, you know, it it made me wonder if that's in fact what we were seeing. I think obviously we're going to find out against Michigan State, a team that has legitimate size, how Duke opts to go. But it, it makes 
this preview a little bit complicated because we can't be certain of of how that's going to go, how the minutes are going to be distributed. Um, the other thing that's worth mentioning about them stylistically, you know, I think the expectation has been that Duke would be back to playing mostly man defense. They've got a couple really good individual defenders in Goldwater and Moore who are both returnees, but uh, you know, I, and and some of their young guys, they think athletically have the potential to be good. You know, but Kay, ever since that seventeen eighteen season where he he figured that he just didn't have the defense to to justify playing man, and he went to a soft as hell two three zone. Mm. Um, you know, people were kind of suspicious about it. I think they're going to be mostly man in this game. But the one thing that's got me wondering is I did see they committed 19 fouls against Coppin State at home. Granted, there's no crowd there, but still. Uh, that makes me wonder, are they as ready as a group to defend at a high level as people were assuming? Um, I can't imagine that they're going to throw a lot of zone looks at Michigan State because, you know, we just saw what Michigan State did to a zone. In, in the Notre Dame game, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and if, if Duke's playing a zone, I think it's probably going to be, uh, a half-assed one. You know, I don't think it's something they've been working on, you know, all the time. Uh, and, and so it's probably not going to be, you know, Eastern Michigan, not to make excuses for Michigan State, but that, what Eastern Michigan did is what they do and what they have done for a decade. So that's what they are. I think if if we saw a zone from Duke, I don't like the odds of them containing it very well, containing Michigan State very well, based on what we saw against Notre Dame. I think we saw that that's the Michigan State team I would expect to see. So consequently, I don't think if you're Krzyzewski, you really want to fool with that very much, right? Yeah. So I would expect to see him in man. One other thing worth mentioning about this team um, maybe even a little more than some of the recent additions. It looks to me like this is a group that wants to run. Now, interestingly, they lost the fast break points battle to Coppin State, but as we've talked about many, many times over the years, that can sometimes be a misleading number, misleading stat, because it's somewhat subjective as to how points tend to be assigned as a fast break basket, you know, they don't always take into account secondary breaks, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but it did get my attention. Nevertheless, I, I saw today um, that Izzo was talking about it, and I believe some of the players as well, I think Malik Hall might have mentioned it, that there's an emphasis being put on getting back in transition by Michigan State in preparation for this game. So I think the expectation is Duke wants to push. Mm-hmm. So we could we could see potentially a very fast paced game, which would be great. That would be entertaining for sure if if that's where both teams play. Yeah. So uh, anything else? Kind of like high level overview of their offense or their defense. I mean, they got a ton of usage out of two of their freshmen in that first game. Yeah. Well, we're gonna t- yeah we're gonna talk about those guys, but I, I think that I think that that's that's kind of what you would expect. Got four guys back who were in their rotation. So that's good. It means you're not completely devoid 
of depth. And in fact, all four of those guys started against Coppin State. I'm suspecting that one of them does not start this game. One of those freshmen you mentioned, DJ mm-hmm. Stewart, I would kind of expect to start, but it really doesn't matter. It's about minutes anyway. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that those guys they've got coming back for the most part are not guys that you would expect to be the primary offensive options. The, the one, ex- you know, Goldwire has made his reputation as a defender. You know, Wendell Moore, honestly, although he had a better, bigger reputation coming out of high school, kind of the same thing on the wing. Hit the best elements of his game are on defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Joey Baker really has not staked enough of a claim to be more than a rotation piece. The one guy might be Matthew Hurt. Uh, but thus far in his career, he hasn't really shown the mentality to step up and become the primary weapon. So I think the two guys that you're alluding to, Jalen Johnson and, and DJ Stewart, quite probably are going to be the guys for Duke offensively. And it makes some sense. You know, Jalen Johnson, big, multi-talented player, uh, and, and Stewart out of Chicago, just a born scorer. Mm. So it stands to reason that those would be the guys I think – Johnson, they're going to use to score, but also to initiate a lot of offense. Kind of, they're not exactly the same player by any means, but in, in at least in broad, a broad strokes fashion, similar to Michigan State and Joey Hauser. And, uh, and then Stewart is, as I say, just a guy they're going to look to to score because mm-hmm. that's what he does. Uh, and so to give the listeners a, a little bit of an idea about Jalen Johnson, um, Six nine, uh, roughly two twenty. He put up nineteen points and nineteen rebounds in their first game, um, going eight from eight from the floor. So yeah. what else do we know about him? He, he's well, obviously the most highly regarded of the the freshmen. Yeah, guys. and it's interesting because I, I don't you know when these guys commit elsewhere, I, and Michigan State was never in on him, but. Um, when they go elsewhere, I I, I kind of don't stay glued to what their last season in high school looks like. But the the sense I got it was it was chaotic. I think he started off at IMG somewhere in Florida, and then he came back home to Wisconsin to finish up. So it sounds like it was a disjointed year for him. I'm not sure if that led to him being only quote unquote thirteenth. Uh, but he was, I know during the recruiting process, while he was still out there, he was always seen and talked about as an elite guy. So, you know, I, I guess we shouldn't be surprised. Um, maybe by 19 and 19, that's pretty impressive. Um, and not missing a shot. And he also had five assists. Now it's worth mentioning the one big negative was he had seven turnovers. Wow. Uh, but I think, but I think that's an indication of how Duke is going to use him. You know, this is a guy who obviously has the size to do some things in the paint. Um, excellent passer, excellent vision. He's always had a reputation for that. So while he's not going to be the point guard in any sense, I think he's going to be a guy they're going to, they're going to run offense through and they're going to use to create, which is actually a good idea because they're, you know, their, their, their point guard situation, while I, I like Jeremy Roach, who's another freshman we'll talk about, I, I don't know that he's – I think Johnson is probably the guy you want making those decisions, kind of in the same way that Michigan State 
really likes Joey Hauser and Aaron Henry doing those things, right? Yeah. It's not that yeah. Rocket Watts or Foster Lawyer can't make plays for others, but you don't have an elite guy. You don't have a Cassius Winston. So why not, you know, and in Duke's case, they don't have a Tyus Jones. So why not let a guy who's that creative and that skilled put a lot of that on his shoulders? And I think that's the philosophy with Duke. Uh, Johnson was one for one from three in that game against Coppin, but it's, it's worth keeping in mind. His rep is not as a shooter. Uh, he shot 20% in his final EYBL season from three. Um, and has never really shown to be a reliable deep shooter. So I think if you're Michigan State, you would love to see Jalen Johnson taking a lot of threes. I'm not sure we'll see that. Uh, I would expect him to play smarter than that play to his strengths. But um, just a really good player, versatile, does a lot of things well, tough cover, and it's it's going to be interesting to see how Michigan State chooses to guard him. Um, cause I, and, and actually what kind of lineups Duke plays? Because when you look at him, you think, well, he's a four, maybe with the potential to play some three, but I don't know. I think it's possible. And, and really in their starting lineup from the first game, he was the five man. Now, when you look at who Michigan state is likely to start, at least to start with, there's probably not an issue there because you have Hauser and Kithier. Mm-hmm. There's the two starting posts. You know, you've, you've got a really the only guy that you would question that matchup physically is Bingham, you know? Um, so I won't be surprised if Duke kind of goes with him a lot of the time as a small ball five. I, if I were K, I would be looking at that. That seems to me to be their best group that they can put on the floor for heavy minutes would involve him playing that spot. And he's certainly proven he can rebound at that level, so. Which would probably lend itself more to running if he's your five. Yeah, well, exactly. And I, again, we, we talked about this being a Duke team that seems to more than most years really want to prioritize getting out in transition. I, I think that's part of it. Uh, and so then they have the other, um, highly regarded freshman, DJ Stewart, 6'2", uh, you'd mentioned out of Chicago, Whitney Young. Um, who also had a big game against Coppin, 24 points, uh, 10 for 18 overall. He didn't start, but he did play 33 minutes. Um, yeah. Yeah. What's yeah. your take on him? I, well, if, whether he starts or not, it's clear he's going to, he's going to play major minutes. Uh, he also had nine rebounds in that game, which credit to him, but I think that's probably a function of the lineups Duke played and, and what Coppin State had out there. I think it's going to be tough for him to get nine boards in this game. Um, you know, his reputation is that he's got a little bit of combo guard in him, but mostly a scorer, mm. uh, as opposed to a playmaker. So I, I think that's how Duke is looking at him is they want him to be a scorer. Uh, but he's not just a, a quote unquote scorer. Sometimes we use that as shorthand for a guy who's going to be a volume shooter, but isn't necessarily a great jump shooter. He's got a reputation as a good shooter. And again, he was four for nine in the opener. So, so far, so good. Uh, I would expect him to be right at the top of Duke's scoring charts mm. next year or this year. I mean, um, so that's not a surprise that he's, he led them in the first game. That won't be the last time that happens by any stretch. Um, so I think he's one guy 
you know, if you're Michigan State, Duke does present a lot of problems for you defensively. There's a lot of things, and it's no, that's no surprise. I mean, that's always the issue against good high major opponents. So there's nothing new there, but I'm just saying they present several different possible ways they can hurt you and you can't really take away everything. And so he's a guy that if you're, if you're going to focus on one shooter, he's probably the guy you'd focus on mm-hmm. if you're MSU. Uh, and then Wendell Moore, six foot five sophomore. Uh, he had 13 points in the opener Averaged uh, 7.4 points a game last year, 4.2 rebounds, uh, 42 from the floor, 21 from three, and 81 from the line. Yeah, and I think it's that it's that three-point shooting that maybe limits him as a, a big scorer and maybe even a potential pro. I don't know. Um, I don't know how long he'll hang around for. I'm not that dialed into what the, what their people think about that, but it's a number that gives me pause. You know, if you, if you can't shoot better than that, you, you'd have a hard time convincing an NBA team to take a really good look at you. If you're a six, five wing in college, the one thing he really brings to the table though, for them is he is a very, very good wing defender. Mm-hmm. So that's an area that, I think you can you can assume he's going to make a consistent impact, and it's why I think he's going to be a starter all year long, because you need guys who can who can check, and and you put him together with another one of their veterans, uh, Jordan Goldwire, who we'll talk about in a minute. That's a really good combination. That's that's Duke's version of Aaron Henry and Rocket Watts, yeah, and. And it's, and, and look, I mean, that's not overstating it. I mean, I think those guys are probably in that category as individual defenders. Like the question mark for Duke is how does the rest of their team check in on that end? But those two guys absolutely, uh, can, can play at a high level defensively. So, um, but that's why, that's what you're asking for from Moore. And he did score 13 in the first game. It's not like he can't score. It's just, he's not a guy that I would expect to be, you know, he's going to be a, I think he's going to be a support guy offensively. Uh, and then Matthew Hurt, six, eight sophomore. Uh, he had 12 and seven in the opener, um, 9.7 points a game last year, 3.8 rebounds. Um, 49 from the floor, 39 from three, 71 from the line. Yeah, um, you know, started a lot last year, and, and although he, you know, his numbers are fine, I just I kind of felt like there was, and sometimes this happens with guys, where in the recruiting process, as it as it goes on, certain guys just start to get hyped. And hyped and hyped, and they're, the estimation of what they will be grows maybe in a way that's not entirely fair. Mm-hmm. And and I kind of feel like that might be the case with Hurt because the story with him was that uh, he was a three level scorer, good athlete, you know, great shooter, um, probably a one and done type, and that didn't happen. And he had a he had a nice year. Again, the numbers are solid. But I just didn't feel he made the level of impact that at least I had thought was likely. Um, he could turn that around this year. Now, he had, as you say, had 12 points in the opener, seven boards. That's 
That's the kind of production they need from him. Uh, more than half or just about half his shots, I should say, came from deep last season. So he's definitely a guy that you're going to need to account for if you're, you know, Hauser and Kithier and Hall and Bingham and Marble. If you're those guys, that's what you, you – he's definitely a, a guy you have to – to watch more so than Johnson. I think Johnson, at least until he makes you change by virtue of hitting shots, you kind of let him take trees. I don't think you want to do that with, with hurt. Uh-huh. Uh, and then Jordan Goldwire, six, uh, two senior um, who started 15 times last year, uh, averaged 4.7 points a game, uh, 49 from the floor, 35 from three, 64 from the line which is actually kind of a shooting improvement, though, for him. It is. It is. And it's enough that, you know, kind of reminds me, he kind of reminds me a little bit of um, Wheeler at Penn State. I think he's probably a better player than than Wheeler is. But it's a similar profile in that known for his defense, but yet you look at the offensive numbers and it's low volume, but it's efficient. You think, shouldn't that guy be shooting more? Mm Mm-hmm at least until he proves that he can't be successful. Uh, but regardless, Goldwire has never been a scorer at at Duke, and I don't think he's likely to start this year. He's there because of the way that he defends, for sure. Um, and again, as I say, some of the advanced analytics, I, I took a peek at some stuff today uh, prepping for this, and he graded out exceptionally well as an individual defender last year. So, I, again, I think you have to prepare for him being a guy. It'll be interesting to see what Duke does. If you think back to years past, one last year, for example, one of the ways Duke really got going was they applied a lot of ball pressure on Michigan State, out high, extending it. Tyus Jones was a great defensive guard. I'm sorry, Trey Jones was – a great defensive guard, and it was not a great night for Cassius, if you recall. Yeah. And as opposed to the year before in the tournament where Cassius really, you know, had his way, uh, it wasn't the case last year at Breslin. And a lot of that had to do with ball pressure from Duke, and we've seen that equation from Duke in the past. You know, not every year, but there have been years where they've really made hay by getting into passing lanes. It it reminds me some of, and I'm going back a long way. Some of our listeners may not have memories of this, but I'm sure many of them do. If if you remember back to when the Chicago Bulls finally overtook the bad boy Pistons in that Eastern Conference series in 1991, the Eastern Conference Finals, one of the most striking features of that series to me, the thing I still remember, is it just seemed like every other possession, somebody from Detroit was getting stripped. Either either a bull was getting in a passing lane or their ball pressure was just forcing a mistake, whatever, and Chicago was just running a layup and dunk drill as a result. Um, some of the Duke MSU games have reminded me a little bit of that, where Duke's ball pressure has just worn them down. Goldwire and Moore are two guys – who at least theoretically would be capable of doing that. It'll be interesting to see if this Michigan State team is maybe built to handle that a little bit better than some others. Um, but but that's Goldwire's primary contribution, is what he can bring on the defensive end. And, 
you know, any offense you get from him is a bonus. He's not a dynamic playmaker, but he's also a guy who doesn't make a lot of mistakes. His assist to turnover ratio was pretty good. It was about uh, 2.7, 2.8 to 1. So he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He will occasionally make a play for somebody, but they don't need him to be the primary playmaker when they've got Johnson to do that, right? Mm-hmm. So a role player, but an important one. Uh, and then, so off the bench, they had um, Jeremy Roach, who who got in 29 minutes against Coppin, uh, scored six points on two for five uh, from the floor, one from three from deep, um, and four assists, but three turnovers. But he's really the one guy, well, besides Stewart, that got in quite a bit off the bench. Yeah, and and he's he's um. He's the guy who's capable of becoming a starter at some point. I think it'll, it'll depend on what Kay wants, but the, the one thing is, you know, Goldwire started 15 games last year. So he obviously, when Duke had maybe a little more. So I think it's pretty clear that Kay likes particular things that Goldwire gives them. So I'm not sure I'd be betting on Roach overtaking him, but it also isn't going to matter that much because they'll play together a lot as we saw in the opener. You know, Roach is an interesting guy. He was really highly regarded. And then if I remember correctly, and I, I meant to do this, I didn't do it to confirm what I'm remembering, but my recollection is he was pretty seriously hurt and missed his entire 19 um, AAU season. So nobody got to see him. I think he came back for his high school season last year, but he had missed some time. So that affected maybe a little bit how he was perceived. Still seen as an elite recruit, but not, again, not a top 10 guy, which I believe he was either rated as or was on the borderline of being before he had his injury issues. Uh, the word on him is he's got some dynamism to his game offensively. It's supposed to be a really high-level pick-and-roll point guard. He can also finish effectively at the rim. The knock on him is he needs to develop more consistency with the deep game. Baker, uh, Joey Baker, six six junior, who uh, shot wound up shooting thirty nine percent from from three last year. It seems like every time I see Duke, Joey Baker is missing an awful lot of threes. But uh, he averaged five point one points a game uh, in twelve minutes and got fifteen minutes last night. Or against Copen, I'm sorry. Yeah, he for three in the opener, so that, I don't know if you watched any of that game, but he was missing. Um, but that's what he, that's what he is. You know, he was, he was a guy who was, there was a lot of excitement about him. And if people may remember this, he reclassified and he made the decision, if I recall correctly, pretty late because there was a perception that Duke could use, and this is the Zion team, mm. that Duke could, that Duke could use another shooter. Um, and then he didn't end up playing that big a role. Played much more of a role last year, you know, 12 minutes a game, as we said. Five points in 12 minutes, pretty good. Um, so I think his role is probably similar to the one he played last year. He comes in, he's firing. You know, that's, that's what they would be looking at him to do. Shoot the ball. And, um, you know, inconsistent, I guess is fair, but 39% is not a bad number on the season. Mm-hmm. Um, he started, as we said, he started the game. I, I don't expect him to in this one. I would think they'll start Stewart, but it really doesn't matter because, um, 
it's about minutes anyway, and Stewart's going to play a lot more regardless. Uh, and then they got Mark Williams, seven foot, two hundred and thirty pound freshman. Um, didn't play, get a whole lot of time in the first one, but what do you think they're looking at with him? Well, th- this is what's going to be interesting to me. There's two guys who played four minutes each in the in the Coppin State game: Williams and uh, Jamin Brakefield, who's a six eight kid. And both of these guys were very highly regarded recruits players that I think most people expected would play a big, significant role for Duke at coming into this season, and they really didn't in that first game. Was that a function of where Kay believes they are right now, or was that a function of matching up to a team that was just so small that he didn't think he could afford to play those guys heavy minutes? You know, Williams, it, it would make sense in this way. You know, when we were talking about that aspect of things at the outset, I had said it's kind of surprising that, you know, you would think Duke would just not adjust to a poor opponent, that they would look to impose their will and say, hey, we've got a huge height advantage. We'll play to that. And they didn't do it. The thing about Williams is his offensive game is not great at this point. He's primarily offensively. He's reportedly primarily um a guy who's going to score at the rim. So maybe in transition he can finish a play, offensive putbacks, dump-offs from a penetrator, that type of thing. Uh, but not a guy that, that really has a sophisticated post game or can face up and hurt you. Where he does make an impact is as a rebounder and a defender. He's legit 7 feet, 230 pounds, and he's got a 7'4 wingspan. So you're talking about rim protection. I think that's the reason, primarily, that I would expect to see him at least somewhat more in this game than he played in the first one. Because if you're facing Michigan State, you know Michigan State's going to look to do some damage inside. Mm-hmm. You know, Joey Hauser's going to look to post up occasionally. We've seen Marcus Bingham do it. Uh, they they obviously have been able to get a lot of, you know, Kithier's had a lot of dump-offs inside. Guys like Aaron Henry are getting to the rim. We know Rocket Watts can do that. You know, there's a lot of pieces for Michigan State that would lead you as a coach if you have that kind of option available to you to say, I want to play a guy who can kind of block out the sun a little bit. You know, and that would and that would be Williams, and that's his strength. That's why he was considered an elite recruit, was he was seen as a potentially elite defender and a really, really good rebounder, a guy who plays hard. Mm-hmm. Good motor. So I think that's going to be interesting is, you know, what kind of role does he play in this game? I, I just have to think that they're going to look to get him in the game more. But, you know, if Michigan State counters and says, you know, we're going to go with that Joey Hauser Malik Hall combo maybe a little bit more, does that keep Duke from playing him a lot? I don't know. Because he's got a fairly similar profile to Durham, who they saw at Notre Dame. Yeah, and MSU did not have a lot of problems with Juwan Durham, who is a very good shot blocker. But you're, I mean, you're right about that, and he's a more experienced player too. But just it would seem to me this is a game where you want to play well more. I don't know how much more. And again, I don't know if those playing time decisions were a function of how they're playing or who they played mm-hmm. in that first game. We'll, we'll find out pretty quickly, I think, in, tomorrow night. 
Uh, and then Jamin Brakefield, 6'8", freshman from Huntington Prep, um, so a teammate of uh, A.J. Hogard, uh, but didn't, again, didn't see much time last night, only four minutes. Yeah, he was a guy MSU recruited a little bit, and then, and and people, I think, felt there was a possibility, and then Duke got involved, and it kind of, it kind of changed the dynamic. Um, as you said, he played sparingly in that Coppin State game as well. The thing about him, very good skill set at 6'8". They'd say he's got a legit three-point stroke, um, decent passer. Obviously, his size helps him also score some in the arc, so very versatile offensively, maybe kind of like a, a B-minus or, or B version of uh, of Johnson in some ways. But the problem is there are questions about his motor, which you never like hearing. If, if you're a Duke fan, you don't like hearing it. That's the thing that worries you is inconsistent motor. And it apparently shows up most glaringly on the defensive end, that there are times he's just not locked in and can get taken advantage of. So maybe that's what's going on with him, or maybe it was a size-based decision. I don't know. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll see. But definitely a kid with some skills. You just that—that that was the thing that I, I've read about him and heard about him that that makes me wonder: is is he going to play hard? Uh, and then uh, Henry Coleman, six seven, two hundred and thirty pound, also a freshman, um, post player. Yeah, same thing, cameo minutes. And, you know, he wasn't quite as highly regarded as some of these other guys, so maybe not a total shock to see his role more limited. Uh, at this stage, I think he's seen as a dirty work guy. You know, it's defense and rebounding. He's going to need to develop his offensive game to earn a bigger role in the rotation, but he's sort of the flip side of, of Brakefield. A lot of development to do to be an offensive threat, but you don't question his motor or his effort level or his toughness. Those are all things that are considered high level with him. So those are two guys opposite sides of the coin, um, so to speak. Uh, and then Patrick Tape, uh, a 6'9", 240-pound grad transfer from Columbia. Um, so kind of an odd. Uh, this is something we would maybe expect from like a Minnesota <laughs> Not yeah, it, it's it, it's it's top it's top pay actually. Top pay. Um, and yeah, I he didn't play. He didn't play at all in the Coppin State game. That's mm-hmm. definitely one that I can look at and say, hey, that might be an opponent thing. I don't think Duke was ever looking at him as a guy who was likely to play, you know, twenty five, thirty minutes a night. But the fact they didn't play at all may be a little bit of a surprise. Uh, you just don't know. I mean. The first thing to keep in mind is he missed all of last season with an injury, a foot injury. So he hasn't played basketball in a competitive game in about 18 months. Um, you know, and, and we talk about uh, Hauser having a big layoff that he's trying to shake off the rust. Well, exactly the same with this kid, except he's not as good. Mm-hmm. Um, at Columbia, bad team. So, again, Ivy League, you question. 
numbers for a bad team, I kind of question. His last season playing, which was 18-19, he was honorable mention all Ivy, 11.3 points, six boards, and 1.3 blocks per game. So decent numbers, but nothing that would make you think, hey, this is a guy who's really going to light it up at Duke. And I don't think they brought him in to do that. I think my, my assumption is he was brought in because they wanted to have another option mm. on the interior. And look, this year, Izzo's been talking about this a ton. He's mentioned it pretty much every um, uh, press conference that he's held for the last couple of weeks, that he's playing a big rotation for one – well – for a few reasons. They're all the usual ones that he normally plays a lot of people for. But but one big reason this year is with COVID, you just don't know when somebody's going to go down and not be able to play and be in quarantine. As he put it today, he doesn't want to be the Denver Broncos without a quarterback. Yeah, yeah. So if you're Duke, it's nice to have Tape, even if he's not playing a big role, it's nice to have him around if potentially you were to need him you know, if let's say, I don't know, let's say Williams and Johnson were to go down with COVID and be out for a week or two weeks or 10 days, whatever it's going to be, um, that's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. You might not have somebody able to step in. Well, with top A, you've got another option. So I think, I think it's that plus just again, to have a big guy who's experienced, that's never a bad thing at the end of your bench. I just don't expect a lot out of him. Now watch him go grab 10 minutes against us. But I, I, I'm i not expecting him to play a big role, although I do think he may well play in this game as opposed to the opener. Mm-hmm. Well, that's about it for the lineup as far as who we can expect to play. Um, the uh, If we turn to the keys, number one, um, the road. So this will be MSU's uh, first road game. Right. Of course, there's no fans, but – I don't know about you, but I I thought that uh, MSU pumping crowd noise in through the speakers sort of made a difference to some degree. I mean, it, it made it feel, at least as a spectator, like a little bit more authentic than it probably other, otherwise would. I, I would I would agree with that. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there are people who disagree with this take, but, but I'm with you as I'm watching these games, not just at MSU, but pretty much everywhere. They're not feeling the way that I thought they would. And frankly, the way that they would have if the tournament had progressed in March when they were talking about this, Mm. because they wouldn't have adjusted that quickly. Those games would have been played with no noise and it would have been only the voices on the court, the coaches and the the sneakers squeaking. That's the only thing you would have heard and the dribble. Um, it sounds more normal. And because of the camera angles that are being used, you know, there's no crowd shots, so they're not cutting to those. Mm -hmm. So the camera is exclusively on the floor. And because of that, it has not felt as alien as I thought it would. Yeah. You know? At least watching it, I agree. I agree. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and look, for Michigan State at least, and, and I think the entire Big Ten, that's the only option because there's no fans in the stands. I don't, I don't know if any places are, I know certainly a lot of places are allowing fans in the stands for football. I'm not sure if that's happening anywhere for basketball, but, um, in any event, yeah, it was, uh, um, it, it's, it's going to have an impact here and that normally, 
when you go to Cameron, it's that crowd. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that the building, I mean, look, the building is what it is. It's storied. You know, a lot of these guys will walk in, they recognize it from TV. It has an impact that way. But um, I don't think you can make the case that this is as tough as it would normally be. That's not to say that it's still not tough because you're traveling. They left today, flew in mm. to Durham. Um, you're playing in an unfamiliar building. Duke plays there, practices there all the time. Uh, so those things matter, right? That counts. So it's a test for Michigan State in that way. It's not the same level of test that it would be in, in years past, but it's a test. Um, you know, so I think it's it's something worth noting. It would be meaningful to see them win it on the road, but I don't think it, obviously, it doesn't mean what it would, you know, mm-hmm. in a normal year. But it, it still will have an impact as far as, like, Ken Palm numbers and and, and net rating. Uh, yeah, you know, that's a... Yes, you're right, and and yet I'm wondering if there's going to be any adjustment. And, mm-hmm. and they probably can't because I, I don't know how I don't know how you do that midstream. And the only way to tell if there's a need for an adjustment is if what we see are road teams winning at a much higher clip than normal. You know, as it stands, I think in a normal year in a high major conference, I remember looking at this last year. If you remember, the beginning of the season just had home teams winning an insane percentage of their games in the Big Ten. Yeah. And then it, it lightened up a little bit overall, but I think, like, normally it checks in in the high 60s, mm-hmm. somewhere like that, mid to high 60s with, um, with home, for home teams. And, I guess you'd have to see something that suggested that it's closer to 50-50 to, to warrant making adjustments, you know. And then conversely, you'd be making adjustments in terms of the numbers and how they impact your your system in terms of predicting home team wins, right? Mm-hmm. Because normally there's a, a big, you know, significant enough bump for a home team typically, you know, in, in terms of the way you project every game to – to unfold. Um, so I don't think they can do that, but, but boy, it would be, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. If we're seeing just a lot more, um, randomization, so to speak, of results without, without true home courts, or if what we find is that, Hey, just the fact that you have to travel versus sleeping in your own bed and that you're playing in an unfamiliar gym, shooting in an unfamiliar basket, that that's enough to make a difference. I don't know. Uh, so the second key turnovers. Uh, so you'd mentioned it before. Duke turned it over 22 times uh, in their opener. Uh, Michigan State struggled against Eastern, but then did a pretty good job with only 12 against Notre Dame. Yeah. And and so the the question, you know, to be completely fair to Duke, the, the question you have to ask is, hey, can they make similar progress? MSU was pretty bad in their opener. Not quite as bad, but bad. And they were much better against Notre Dame. Can Duke do similar things here? And can MSU maintain its improvement? You know, um, I, at least when I look at this game, based on the little bit that we have, I'm thinking that rebounding looks like it should be relatively even. I don't see either team coming in with that as an area I think is decisively 
to their advantage. You know, Duke gave up 12 offensive rebounds against a very small Coppin State team. Mm-hmm. So they, they had a huge advantage in overall rebounding, but they weren't great. I don't think they would, Kay would say that they were great on the glass in the first game. And Michigan State obviously had their issues against Eastern. They were much better against Notre Dame. But I, I just think on paper, you know, Johnson, Hauser kind of look like they're in the same ballpark to me on the glass. Um, you know, I, I, I just don't see a big advantage. So if there is a big advantage in turnovers, that could tilt the game one way or the other. Uh, as I mentioned uh, close to the outset of, of our discussion, um, turnovers were a stated area of concern by the Duke coaches coming into the season. So I don't think you can say with huge amounts of confidence, oh, disregard Coppin State, that was just a weird game. Mm-hmm. You know, it may be that it's an issue for them, or it may be that it's an issue for them for a while, and then they'll get it sorted out. You know, or maybe something that goes on the whole season. We don't know. But anytime you see a number like 22 against a, a low D1 program, you you at least have to ask the question. And, and again, with Michigan State, too, can you trust them? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. <laughs> maybe. You know, the first, I, I would feel really good if Duke was, if I knew Duke was going to play zone mm-hmm. for, uh, you know, for uh, 40 minutes. But um, I don't think they're going to do that. And so Michigan State's going to have to run its man offense, which we really have not seen very much of so far. You know, Eastern played exclusively zone. Notre Dame was in zone, I don't know, 80%, 90% of the time. Anecdotally is my guess. I didn't look at synergy numbers to know for sure, but I'm pretty sure that was the case. So we haven't seen it yet. Will that make a difference? Is MSU, how do they look running the pick and roll? We really haven't had a chance to see that at all, right? Because mm. it's been all zone offense. So we don't know how, you know, how's Joey Hauser going to look on the pick and pop? Maybe that's something that we start with him, um, helping him hit some threes. Mm. You know, it's the one thing he hasn't done very well thus far. Um, you know, we need to see Rocket in playing pick and roll. I suspect they'll use Aaron Henry a little bit in pick and roll on the wing. Um, they may use Hauser for all I know. <laughs> so, um, you know, as, not as the screener either. It's a, a lot of possibilities, and I'm interested to see it. But all of that also goes to how well does MSU value the ball in this game. And and then we one more point. We go back to what we talked about near the outset. In the past, there have been years where Duke has gotten a lot of mileage out of heavy ball pressure. Not trapping, but just heavy man ball pressure. And they appear, at least as I look at this at the outset, to have a couple guys who might be very capable of doing that well. So how would MSU respond to that if that's indeed what we see from Goldwire and from Moore? Mm-hmm. So uh, the third key, defense. Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, Michigan State with those about 10-minute stretch uh, last game against Notre Dame with just outstanding hands, defense, swatting balls away. Uh, and this looks to be probably a little bit better defensive team uh, in Duke this year. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm looking at it primarily from the MSU point of view mm-hmm. on this one. Uh, what I saw for, I'd actually say it was more like 15 to 20 minutes, maybe not quite 20, uh, in the middle of that game, end of the first half, beginning of the second half, is as good as I've seen a Michigan State team look defensively in a long time. I mean, the the 17-18 team 
was really good. You know, you had Jaron Jackson kind of, you know, back there quarterbacking it. Miles Bridges was, I think, an underrated defender. Um, they had some veterans like Tom, Gavin Schilling, or young Xavier Tillman who could play defense well, but uh, Josh Langford. But I, I think this team could be better. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I say that because that, that 17-18 team had a sophomore year Cassius Winston who had still really not figured it out totally on defense. So they had a, a, a spot where you could attack them. Mm-hmm. And MSU statistically was great that season. I mean, just great. I, in fact, as we're talking about it, I want to pull it up just to be – just to be sure and see where they finished. But I, I know it was very, very impressive. Um, yeah, see, not as, not as impressive as I thought. They only ended up number 10. 10 yeah. I think there were, I think there were year, or there were points in the year where they were better than that. Well, here was the thing. They were number one in the country in effective field goal percentage. And they were number one against two pointers and they were number one in blocks. So there were things. It was a three point, three point percentage defense, which is something you really can't control very well. That and mediocre defensive rebounding were the things that held them back. But I don't think this team, if, if, if what we see is more Rocket Watts and less Foster Lawyer at the point as we did against Notre Dame, then we are back to this Michigan State defense on the perimeter that to me looks potentially crushing to opponents because Aaron Henry through two games has been national defensive player of the year. Good. Mm-hmm. You know, I, these, I, I really believe that I think he's been that good and it's going to be interesting to me to see how Izzo uses him in this game. I don't think he'll look to have him guard Wendell Moore. So I think he probably will get Stewart to begin with. And, you know, he's got three inches on Stewart, and he can stay with him athletically. So that's going to be – I even think he could see some Jalen Johnson, depending upon how this game goes. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but, you know, you got Aaron Henry, Rocket Watts, who was so much better defensively than in the first game. So we're going to assume continued good health for him after that late – ankle sprain, which didn't seem to be very much and didn't seem to have anybody concerned. Um, That's two guys. Gabe Brown, to me, has quietly been a big story because of the improvement in his consistency on defense. Not that Michigan State's ever a defense designed to create a ton of turnovers, but he had five steals Mm -hmm. in that Notre Dame game, which I read – the way I read steals and blocks – is not that it's something that Michigan State, the blocks maybe a little bit more, but they're not things that Michigan State is designed to do. Some defenses, you know, um, Eastern Michigan, for example, their whole thing is they want to trap you and force turnovers. That's what they want to do. And so you measure their effectiveness in part by how many of those they generate. Michigan State is not about that. Um, but it is a sign or it can be a sign of activity. And I think that's the case for Gabe. He's been very active, and when you're six eight, you have a seven foot or seven foot one wingspan, and you're on the perimeter. Man, that's a problem for people. Yeah, I never got the problem. feeling. I never got the feeling that Gabe Brown was gambling. You no, know what I mean? he, no, it was not all at all. Like strips and stuff. That's exactly that's what I mean. It was activity level, but don't confuse that with gambling. 
for sure. That's something MSG will never do. And if you're doing it as a player, you're going to get pulled. Mm. That's that's something Izzo will make playing time decisions based on for sure. It's just not part of the DNA. Um, no, not at all. He's he's being very solid and and just coming up with those plays. And man, that's a hell of a threesome. And and then so the next step is they just got to get Josh Langford back. I think Josh has been okay, but not where he can be. Mm-hmm. And that's a pretty strong foursome to have on the perimeter. And then you look at the you look at the um, post group. We knew Malik Hall would be right. I think Malik Hall's been really, really good. Again, a guy like like Gabe Brown. He's not being talked about as much, but man, he's looked solid. Mm-hmm. And I think he's got a role in this game because I think he's a guy who could see some minutes against Johnson. And I think he's got a chance to guard him pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kithier, you know, Kithier is who he's been. It just right, except I think he's a little better and I think he's a touch stronger this year. Right place, right time, understands how the defense functions, understands where he needs to be, doesn't make a lot of mistakes. That's good. The two unknowns for me were what is Joey Hauser and what is Marcus Bingham? Can you play Marcus Bingham a lot? Because we know he can block shots, but where is everything else? Mm. Well, Joey Hauser, I don't know how you feel about him. Uh, I think he's looked pretty damn good defensively. I, I didn't expect him to be a lockdown guy, and I don't think he is. But he just needs to be functional, he, and he's been that for sure. Mm-hmm. And these first two games, I like the way he moves. He seems to understand conceptually. You're not seeing him get blown up and just making dumb mistakes. That's not happening. Mm-hmm. So good signs there. And Markey, four blocks in that game <laughs> against Notre Dame. But that's only part of it. It's that he's playing well enough all the way around to justify him playing minutes. Mm-hmm. And so now you can play, you know, it's kind of like what we talk about with Duke, right? How much can they play Mark Williams? Because you know he can bring that to the table, but can you play him a lot to get that? Is he doing all the other things you need? Marcus Bingham, that's been the issue at times during his Michigan State career. Uh, You know, we're only two games in. We don't want to overreact. But I like what I've seen in these first two games from him at both ends. I think defensively he's improving just overall, in terms of the way he's moving. And and it looks to me like he's got a clue. He doesn't look lost, which is a big change. Yeah, you know, last year, he's, and he's, he's not following either. Not following. Right. Now, you know, one other thing worth mentioning on this front, same all the same lines, Izzo keeps talking about Matty Sissoko. And I, I do think there's going to come a point this year where Matty Sissoko breaks through. Mm. And, and and probably gets to play a bigger role. I'm not sure it's tomorrow night. But if he plays, there's another guy who can do that. I'm, I'm not sure how he'd handle a pick and roll right now, but I know he can take a shot out of the air. <laughs> I <laughs> know he can go after that. those rebounds, that's for sure. Yes, he will. So, you know, I, I think what all this long-winded discussion is getting around to is what is Michigan State defensively? I think we've seen enough already to know that the ceiling is extremely, extremely high. Mm -hmm. And that I feel better about their chances of getting somewhere close to that ceiling than I did before having seen these two games. Yeah. Because there are guys who I wasn't certain had taken that next step who kind of look like they've taken that next step to me. 
Even even Foster. I mean, I know Foster got kind of abused by Notre Dame a few times on post-ups, but I think Foster looks a little better. He doesn't have to be great. He's just got to be okay. Mm-hmm. And, and I think he's got a chance. But a lot of these guys, Gade, Markey, Joey Hauser, they're showing up a little better than I thought. Or at least I wasn't sure they would show up at this at this level. Mm-hmm. And if Michigan State can be that kind of defensive team regularly, there's there's no limit on what they can do. Mm-hmm. They can be a Final Four team. They could win a national championship. I'm not saying they'd be a prohibitive favorite to do it, but they could. It would mean they would have enough mm-hmm. because they're going to have enough offensively to do it. If 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 they are truly an elite defensive team their offense will be good enough to put them in that conversation, if, if that makes sense. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, we know that. So this is, a, you know, this is another test, and it's an interesting test because Duke is a different team than Notre Dame. Better athletes, a um, little more versatile, a lot more versatile, I think, in terms of the way they can come at you. They're going to test MSU's transition defense. So that's going to be another thing to watch. We haven't seen that tested yet. How well does MSU get back? Um, and and so it's going to be another way to evaluate where MSU's at. And so the fifth key, you mentioned transition, um, and then boards would be the fifth key. Um, yeah. Well, let's talk about transition first. Mm-hmm. So it – Always a point of emphasis for MSU, so we don't even need to go. We know what MSU's going to do. And I thought they did a pretty good job against Notre Dame, even though they didn't get it. We talked about that. They didn't get a ton out of it in terms of point production, you know, layups or dunks, but I, I thought they ran well. And Izzo said the same thing in his post game. He was happy with it. So pretty good there. Uh, Duke wants to run with this group, so everybody says. Now, they did get outscored 18-15 on the fast break got by Coppin, as I mentioned. I, I take that with a grain of salt because, as I say, sometimes the, those numbers are skewed. And I just did, I saw some highlights of the game. I didn't see the game itself, so I can't render a verdict as to what that if that honestly reflected how the game went. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am under the impression that there was um, inconsistency in Duke's transition defense. So that's something to watch. If they're not consistently getting back against Michigan State, and if Michigan State's holding their own on the defensive glass, look out. Um, but on the other side, MSU's got to be aware of what Duke can do, as we've said. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's it, not something that we see much, right? No, you think no we it, really don't. Who looks to Nebraska, run with Michigan maybe? State? Uh, yeah, yeah, but they were just so <laughs> – uh, yeah. I mean – Nebraska, I, I guess Iowa – We'll do that, but we're not talking about a Duke level team. The only the only program that consistently has looked to do that with Michigan State has been North Carolina. Mm. They're the only ones. And and so you just don't see even teams that normally like in Iowa that normally run, I always feel like they're a little more cautious against Michigan State. Because they know that if they get into a ninety four foot game, it becomes a problem for them. Mm-hmm. You know? Duke is is the kind of team that, like Carolina, maybe can pull it off. Maybe feels they look at it and they feel like, hey, we're okay running. We can go blow for blow with you because we have enough trust in our transition defense. You know, but we'll see. Uh, and then boards for the fifth key. 
Yeah, you know, I mentioned earlier, to me, this looks like a fairly even battle on paper, but if either team carves out an edge, well, that's another way the game could turn. Uh, MSU was very poor against Eastern. Uh, they're much better against Notre Dame. Can they follow that up? Uh, I do like the Johnson versus Hauser match. You know, you're talking about guys who are coming in off uh, 19 and 16 rebound games. So that's, that's pretty good stuff. Um, it's, uh, and I think that because they're a similar size, um, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But those are those are two kind of the two highlight guys. And then, much like Michigan State, I think Duke's got a lot of other guys that can chip in and help. But um, I, I know I keep saying this, but I don't know how much to take away from that Coppin State game just because they played so small. You know, you would think if Mark Williams and Brakefield are playing a lot more, well, they're going to rebound much better, right? <laughs> so, uh, so I don't know. I don't know whether, whether that was the real Duke as it exists right now or whether we're going to see a different thing that maybe creates more issues. You know, the, the interesting thing too is going to be the counters in this game as I'm thinking about it. You know, it, it might be that, you know, Michigan State is going to play Marcus Bainham. Mm-hmm. I, I'm convinced of that. I don't think they're going to adjust anything. So if they do, does that kind of force Kay's hand? And he goes with Williams anyway, even if he doesn't feel tremendously confident in him just yet because he feels like he's got to match up physically, you know? I'd be surprised to see Izzo shy away from it mm-hmm. for a matchup reason, you know? I think he's going to play his guys. Um, so that's interesting. I think, as I mentioned before, a little bit or touched on, who's going to guard Johnson? I think it's probably... Hauser at the start, although I I guess maybe I could see them going with Kithier early. Uh, but I think it's going to end up being a lot of guys. I think Hall's going to see a turn. I think it could be Brown or Henry seeing some time on him. You know, it probably also depends on how the game unfolds. If he's hot and he's hurting Michigan State, Aaron Henry is your stopper. Mm-hmm. And, and it wouldn't be surprising to see Izzo just say, go get him. Mm. And, you know, that might that might cause him to have to adjust his rotation a little bit, but um, it wouldn't be shocking to see that if it came to it. So really interesting game. You know, we just don't know. We know very, very little about Duke. We know a tiny bit more about Michigan State, but it's still so early in such a weird year that we're, we're still in the learning stages. And as we always say at this time of the year, the great thing about college basketball is a game sport is – the result has very little downside. Mm. It really doesn't because if you win it, hey, you beat a quality team on their floor, even in a COVID year, and and boy, you've you've learned some things, right? If you lose, it doesn't matter very much. It's it's a game you were you were the underdog in slight. I think I saw MSU was like a three point five. Yeah, three point. Yep, three and a dog. Yeah, and a half. so not a huge, you know. Not a huge number. And it suggests, in fact, that the teams would be essentially even on a neutral court. So um, if you lose, okay, well, ho- hopefully you really learn some things in that case. And you use it as fuel and a teaching tool to get better. And we've seen MSU do that time and time and time again over the time of tenure. And, you know, this would be no different. So I always look at I know some fans – seem to think it means something else. I always look at these, these games as 
mostly upside. Mm-hmm. The only downside is the fan consternation. That's really it. Because you don't lose anything. You don't lose anything in perception unless you just get run off the floor. And even then, you know, um, you can come back from that. You know, we've seen very, very good teams get blown out in November. It's not the end of the world. But, but for the most part, you just want to be getting better at this time of year. I start caring, you know, which is funny because I don't think every fan looks at it that way. I care much more about an early January game against Penn state than I do, you know, this game in terms of what a result means, because when you're in the league, you're playing for league championship and that matters. And it will, that will also impact your seating Mm -hmm. in March. This one, you don't, you don't take any kind of real hit if you lose this thing, you know, that's the great thing about playing a great opponent. Same thing's going to be true about the game at Virginia. In a few weeks, you know, same deal. Yeah. You don't lose much. Right. So that's why I think he Izzo figured this stuff out a long time ago, and I think he got it right. Mm-hmm. You know, there are times where people, and even I'm there, there have been a year or two where he's been like, really? <laughs> You're a little <laughs> ambitious even by my standards. Because at some point you do actually have to win games. Yeah. But that that's also why the Notre Dame game was big, right? Because it was a win over a high major opponent. By double digits. That's going to help you. Even if you lose against Duke and Virginia, as long as you don't blow one of the, the in-state games, your non-conference was pretty successful. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, so, yeah, I, I, I just think it's upside. So uh, this one's 7.30 on ESPN. Um, MSU now ranked eighth. Uh, Duke ranked sixth. So this will be a big primetime Tuesday matchup. Um, any you know final thoughts? I I think I've said it. I mean, I think it's just it's have fun with it, and you know, it's either way. There are things that come out of this for Michigan State that will be useful, you know. And I think they have a great chance to win. I definitely feel that way going into this. I don't I don't see any reason to be pessimistic beyond the usual. Well, it's Duke. Yeah, you know, which I don't dismiss, but I also, you know, people said that two years ago in the Elite Eight, right? How'd that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and by the way, now if you want to look for omens, <laughs> Michigan State finally beat Shashevsky head to head for a recruit in Max Christie mm-hmm. after after seemingly years, decades of getting their heads beaten in. Going head to head, I've lost count how many guys MSU finished runner up on um, to Duke, and and they finally got one. So does that signal something? If you're into omens and fortune telling and crystal balls and tarot cards, does that signify <laughs> something? I guess we'll see. <laughs> the death card, <laughs> right? All right. Well, I'll talk to you tomorrow after the game. Until then, the final four is not on the schedule. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. 
Granger for the ones who get it done.